From Accord, this is From Vendorship to Partnership, a show where we dive into the realities of scaling B2B startups. Join our host, Ross Rich, this season on The Seller's Journey as he chats with today's top sales leaders about building winning playbooks, scaling teams, and partnering with customers. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to your favorite sales podcast. I'm your host, Ross Rich. And you're at From Vendorship to Partnership. We're on season two, A Seller's Journey. We have an awesome guest today. Thanks for joining us, Trent. Yeah, Ross, let's do it. Awesome. Well, we got Trent here. He's a senior account executive at Qualtrics. And on top of that, provides other sellers some awesome, awesome advice around how to partner with customers. So we're excited to dive into that today. But before we get to our first question, Trent, if you don't mind doing a mini intro, and then we'll, we'll get right to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation as well, Ross. I really respect and appreciate what you guys are doing in the work you're doing for the sales community. So everyone who's listening right now, my name is Trent Dressel. I started in software sales over four years ago. I started as an SDR, bottom of the totem pole, have put in over 50,000 outbound cold calls, promoted my way up to a senior account executive, and um, really enjoy the role in sales and particularly selling software. Awesome. Awesome. And I know, um, yeah, very passionate about sales best practices and really, you know, a buyer first approach, I think, which is kind of why we wanted you on the show. That's what we love to talk about. But before we get into that, my first and favorite question, what do you think it is that most people get wrong when it comes to B2B sales? I believe the biggest mistake I personally have made in my sales career is grossly underestimating the amount of activity and volume required to achieve my goals. By that meaning, if I have, let's say, a $200,000 quote at Target, there's a certain amount of calls or emails I will have to send to generate enough pipeline to then mm. have three, five X qualified pipeline to based on my close rates, deal size, all of the numbers that you need to know to eventually hit your target. So for example, I just closed a deal to end Q3 here. It took me 55 cold calls over two years to set up the initial meeting with the prospect. They had been spending with our solution in another department. So I was eager to get in the account, took that much volume and activity to just get in front of him. Mm -hmm. And then that gave us the opportunity to sell the deal. So that's just an example of putting in a lot of activity. But the reason I've failed to hit my quota in the past is because I don't take enough action. Yeah. I think that just framework of thinking about your quota and what you need to deliver on as your own business and working backwards, what I think like what I see a lot of executives have to do, you know, hey, we need this many MQLs to convert to this SQLs to convert to this ops, et cetera, looking at your own business like that. And I think that's what the best account executives that, you know, consistently overachieve do. So they work backwards and they understand what their month's going to look like, what their quarter's going to look like based on all that stuff. And they have it really dialed in. So yeah, if you're if you're you know at home listening and you don't have a pretty robust system to think about, you know, how much activity you need to put in to get to how many leads and all that kind of stuff, you should probably start thinking about that to, to drive some more consistency and hopefully sleep better at night to know that you have uh, the pipeline and deals to, to hit your number. Yeah, it's nice to be able to predict in the future to the best of your ability. I think you sleep better and it makes the job a lot more fun, but it's not easy to do. So it requires some work up front. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, to dive into kind of the core of what we want to get to today, effectively partnering with customers, maybe before we get into some specific tactics and actions, philosophically, how do you think about you know your job as a seller and what you're there to provide on behalf of your company to these potential buyers and customers? Professional relationships, in my view, are a value exchange. 
So in order for me to gain a relationship with, let's say you, Ross, if you're, you're my buyer, I need to give you ideas, information, ultimately a solution and my time in exchange for access, a financial commitment, and the ability to do business together. So it starts mm-hmm. with exchanging value. So I need to come to you with a viewpoint, understanding your business, what you care about, the problems, um, and say, hey, this is how we might be able to help you. Let's take some time to talk about it. And then through that, you're able to really open the aperture to see if there is an opportunity to work with one another. Completely. I think one of the kind of salesisms that I that comes to mind when I hear you say that and that value exchange is that give get. And that's how I always think about starting relationships, right? Especially in sales, is how can I give so much so that I can receive, yeah, like access to power or that next meeting or that thing you can't think about it in in one direction, right? And I think that's where a lot of people get wrong. They think it's about selling this product and it's so much more deep in terms of that interpersonal relationship than that. And I feel like outside the office, I try and fundamentally give without expecting anything in return. But in sales, we need something in return in the form of pipeline uh, to ultimately generate revenue. So I think it's just give, 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 offer as much value as possible. And then eventually if you are able to deliver enough value, they will reciprocate. And I think that this is why a lot of sellers get frustrated because they're constantly reaching out and never hear back. And they they want to blame, oh, they just never get back to me. They're not fair. But in reality, we are simply not offering enough value to earn their attention to gain their time. Totally. Well put. Um, would you mind sharing maybe you know one or two tips or tricks that you have maybe early in the process? Maybe it's that first intro meeting or first deep dive with a group of people it's been very hard probably to, to you know, do anything to really move the needle in their lives. How would you think about that giving first and that value exchange? Whenever I set up an initial meeting with a prospect or customer, I want to set the tone with the initial reminder. So I'm sending them a call reminder before we even start sharing something of value to them. Hey, this is an interesting resource that I think will help shape our conversation. Take a look ahead of the call. So they're already thinking, wow, this person's thinking ahead. They care about this. So they're going to come ready to go. When I get on the meeting, I think it's important to set an agenda with with a contract up front. Hey, I want to hear more about you. I'll share more about us. If we both agree there's alignment, I would like to continue the conversation. And if not, we absolutely can part ways. How does that sound? And and they'll most likely agree to that 99% of the time so that at the end of the call, you can then go back and say, well, my recommendation is that we continue the conversation. There's a variety of ways you can go. And you, you've, you've set that up front to then really build a push on that because it's important to always have that scheduled next event. When I'm yeah. going into that conversation, what I believe is important, there's a variety of things, but I think compelling event is one that I want to talk about. The why now? Mm-hmm. So, hey, I've been reaching out to you for two years. Why did you decide to take my call now? Yeah. Hey, you've been using our competitor for the last five years. Why are you now looking at other solutions? Or, hey, you've never done anything before. Why are you considering doing something? So that compelling event to then shape what you're working towards in the way of timeline. And then the additional point I'll add is um, negative consequences. I think that this is one of the, the hardest things I face is what are the implications of doing nothing or yeah. continuing with the status quo? And in addition to being able to quantify that, also being able to understand as a result of not doing this, what will that mean for you specifically and the business as a whole? So the better you can understand that dynamic, I think the more value you're able to create. 
Tony, I think you hit on two things that I'm very passionate about. And I think, unfortunately, the average seller doesn't do. The first thing is that upfront research and showing that you care. Okay, outside of the product and the solution that you need to, you know, chip and, you know, going in and doing a workshop and going on site, the fact that you care and you understand their business and you can get on a call instead of asking them some really basic qualification questions, spending five, 10 minutes before doing the research and showing them through your thoughtful questions, as well as that agenda note and, you know, customized preset instead of that, you know, oh, it looks like a cool company, right? Like <laughs> that completely changed the conversation. The second thing that you said that I actually heard someone say recently, they dug in and they looked at their most effective demand gen folks on their team that actually led to the highest expansion opportunities started with the SDR and the AE sending a ton of stuff up front and front loading it to have those better conversations that actually in the very end, like quantitatively led to Wow. Not just larger ACVs, but expansion and success on the platform. And it's crazy, but that's so true. Like the way that you frame those first touch points, the first emails and that first call has such a massive impact so much later down the line. And it feels, you know, kind of counterintuitive or like, oh, is that really a thing? But, you know, from my own experience, it helps you get to power faster. It helps reframe the problem sooner and then really trust you as a partner, which can make a really big difference. It's, it's so competitive nowadays. Something I'm always asking myself is how do I create a wonderful buying experience for the prospect or customer, making them feel special throughout and that I value their time through my upfront prep and preparation to your point and sending the reminder or offering value in each touch point that you exchange with them is, is in your control. And I think it's just taking that next level of ownership, which I think come they they will appreciate and increase your ability to close the deal. So, and I think a lot of people are looking for those things to do, and maybe it's not commonly talked about. I think you know people talk a lot about process and filling out Salesforce and you know all these little things that are very internally facing. I think a lot of the time are helpful for you know even negotiating, like just a common topic to talk about. But I think very few people are talking about these little things that actually help, like you said, help the buyer and can differentiate yourself yourself in this like hyper-competitive market. And something you said the other day, Ross, and, and not to bounce around on topics too much, but you, you posted this on LinkedIn and I found it incredibly insightful. You said, a lesson that I've learned over this past quarter is spending time with people who, who want to speak with me to oversimplify it. So what that means is, okay, the, the biggest deal in my pipeline I should be spending a disproportionate amount of time on figuring out how can I serve them opposed to making an extra 15 cold calls or opposed yeah. to scrolling through Slack, whatever it may be. It's focusing on those people who want to speak with you. And then your creativity will start to open when you know where to prioritize your time. Totally. And um, maybe, yeah, to, to wrap up the effectively partnering with customers, I think one of the key foundational things I think a lot of early sellers and startups. And it's really hard to, because you don't have the cycles, you haven't built the intuition from experience of winning and losing a ton of deals at a particular company is getting that intuition around when you have that first conversation or second conversation with that it company and that stakeholder and that champion, you're like, this is the deal for this month or quarter. It's really hard to know where to spend the time. And it's been really interesting, you know, coming from Stripe for four and a half years and just knowing like, I have a conversation. I can even see their website. I'm like, I know if this is a deal or not. I know exactly how the next <laughs> six months is going to freaking go with this conversation because I just, you know, you just won and lost so many deals. You know that space so well. Moving yeah. into a new role or 
you know, a new type of role in sales or a company, you lose that intuition because you don't have all those data points anymore. And I think, you know, there's, there's very few ways around that other than just having a ton of calls. But once you're there, you need to kind of slowly start to, your time is suddenly more valuable and you need to figure out how can you suddenly displace all of that activity for spending it in a much more narrow, you know, group of, of potential customers. I don't know, you know, in your experience, the last, you know, few years going from SDR to senior age, does that feel, you know, does that resonate with you at, at Qualtrics? I believe there's two dials within one's control to increase performance. It starts with activity and the other is skill. So I call them basically will and skill. And the will is work ethic, willpower, making more calls, working harder than everyone else. But there comes a point where you you simply can't work harder. There's just not enough time in the day. So the, the, the other component to that is the efficiency part, which, which is increasing your skill. So it's being self-aware enough to, to your point of, okay, where should I focus on? I'm losing deals. Why am I losing deals? At what part in this sales cycle am I losing the deals? How can I be more receptive to coaching? How can we go speak with other folks who may be doing better or mm-hmm. take what had worked at a previous company and just learning how to continuously get better, not making the same mistakes? So there's a few different strategies you could use for that, but I'm always thinking through the lens of how can I work harder, but also optimize for efficiency? Totally. Yeah. And that's where I think doubling down on those those right deals. How do you get, instead of like you were saying, instead of getting one or two more calls across 50 cold calls, how can you get two more stakeholders on that one deal and shifting your mindset there? Awesome. Well, before we wrap up and jump into the lightning round, I mean, I'm curious to get your take on this. Where do you think the world of B2B sales is going in terms of expectations from buyers, in terms of this you know, hyper-competitiveness of other alternatives and options? Yeah, where do you think things are heading as a as a B2B seller? I believe from the macro standpoint, B2B companies need to own their own distribution. What I mean through that is each B2B company has different channels for growth, so they may be reliant upon advertisements for example on YouTube, whatever it may be. They may start to hire a sales force and then they start to hire SDRs, account executives, whatever it may be. I believe these B2B companies need to own their own distribution. And what I mean by that is having a direct way to reach not only their existing customers, but potential and future buyers. And the way they will accomplish that is through content. And all of these companies will slowly need to become more content-focused businesses. So one example at Qualtrics, we have started what's called XM Plus, and we are producing content that is more entertaining than a lot of the shows on Netflix but that's also geared towards a more professional buyer. Yeah. So think about almost the, the Harvard Business Review, but just more engaging through video. I think that that's one really interesting example that I get exposure to. But another case study is HubSpot. HubSpot acquired, I, I forget what the newsletter is the called. Hustle? The Hustle, like yeah. yeah. Exactly right. They acquired a newsletter so that they could get direct exposure to potential and future buyers. They want to control their own distribution. So I believe slowly but surely, these companies will be more focused on that especially as it relates to LinkedIn content as well. I think that that's such an untapped opportunity and a lot of organic growth opportunities. And if you look at the companies like a gong, I don't exactly know what they do because I've never used it, but I do know that they have a great strategy to get their reps and people to post about it. And I'm sure that inherently helps them to attract more leads as well. I think that that's one great example. So I believe that the macro companies will need to control their distribution. And I think that that trickles down to the individual rep also needing to have a brand 
inside and outside their workplace and not necessarily create content just for their buyer persona, but ultimately to increase their brand. I think that that will drive more self-accountability. It'll be better for the company. And um, I think it all revolves, revolves around content, media, and distribution. Yeah. I mean, people buy from people and the internet is a great place to do you know, some quick research. And if you're going to make a big decision and risk your social capital, especially in this environment, any spend is a big decision. Who you're working with on the other side and the promise to that is just as, if not more important than, than the brand of the company. And you're seeing that through, you know, when we do distribution at Accord, stuff that I post obviously gets a lot more reach than the Accord, you know, name. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, totally, totally hear you on that. All right. Well, people, people don't always buy the best product. They buy from who they know. And it starts with getting trust. the attention yeah. and the trust. And as you start to aggregate that, you can monetize it. And I think that that's what some of the individual content creator brands are doing now. And they will take over traditional brands over time. And I think B2B needs to adopt that. Completely. Well, to wrap things up, we got my favorite part of it, the lightning round. We're going to ask you for some one word or one sentence answers to the following questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Awesome. All right. First one, most common misconception about sales. Is that everyone's a used car salesman. It's not the case. It's fun and we're not here to bite. Totally. And favorite app or piece of software as a seller? Zoom info. Most helpful work-related book or resource that you've consumed? 10x rule. And lastly, hardest part of you know developing as a seller, kicking off your career? Patience. That's a good one. That's usually my answer for most things. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. Awesome. <laughs> it applies well, to a lot. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to jump on the pod and share some of your thoughts, some great perspectives around you know partnering with customers, adding value first, and specifically ways to do that. So hopefully listeners out there can, can start to do that themselves. You know, folks wanted to get in touch with you or check out your content. What's the best way to do that? You can find me on LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok, wherever. But most importantly, go to Accord.com and subscribe now if you're still listening. <laughs> we appreciate that shout, Trent. And uh, yeah, thanks again for the time. Yep. Thanks, Ross. You're listening to Accords from Vendorship to Partnership. For more sales and startup insights like this, please be sure to subscribe here or at inaccord.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening.